were talking on Twitter a week or two ago, maybe three weeks now, about a book that we both read that I'm just going to leave nameless for this for oh, both yeah. of our sakes. <laughs> you said that gets icky, and I came back with, yeah, I'm noticing how icky, and, and you just came back with, it never stops being icky. Yeah. But then we both just left it. And I think <laughs> the reason for that was because the un spoken question was why are you reading this book which w- then would have led to well why are you reading this book right you it know I, me that you picked that one up I yeah like, and you know okay. what? I'm, I'm really proud of our friendship that we just both kind of nodded and just walked away yeah <laughs> welcome to wherever you are my name is ryan mcneil in toronto canada you're listening to episode 165 of the matinee cast it's a movie loving podcast on my movie loving website thematinee.ca your home for cinematic passion and perspective it is thanksgiving weekend here in canada this episode will be going up on thanksgiving day thanksgiving of course is the time where everybody gathers everybody kind of goes home everybody sees people who they haven't seen in a long time and serendipitously that's what this episode has turned into because my guest today is um, a very old and dear friend who i have not had on the show for far too long and so getting together on this weekend is um you know it's very apropos for thanksgiving weekend um because yeah yeah that's uh, it was one of those things that i i as soon as it as soon as the idea was planted in my brain, I was like, that just has to happen. So I was very, very <laughs> gracious that we were both able to work this out so quickly in our busy schedules. She is um, not the sidekick. There is no sidekick. <laughs> she is one of the co-hosts of Real Insight, uh, a podcast you can find at realinsight.podomatic.com and on podcatchers everywhere. We are across a wire to West Virginia um, this yes. time. I, I think I'm talking to you from the third different state now. Uh, Fourth. Oh my god. Uh, no, no, there was a lo- there's a long gap in between. So I think I think you you've settled in a fourth state for a while that I did never talk to you in. Yeah, That's well I think last it- time I was in Arkansas and this is the third state I've lived in since then. Yeesh. So I've um, only had three cross country moves in the last three years. It's you- no big deal. Um that's Rachel Thoreau. How are you, Rachel Thoreau? I'm good. I am settled That's now. Good. I sure hope so. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm tired of your your section in my Christmas card list just looks like a mess. On episode 165, we will be talking about The Girl on the Train. We'll be flipping the record over to play the other side, but we are well overdue to learn more about Rachel. This is Know Your Enemy. Rachel first appeared on episode 23, where we Ooh, talked about, yeah, where we talked about Let Me In. We learned the first movie she'd ever seen was The Princess Bride. The last movie she'd seen at the time was Smoking Aces. The worst movie she'd ever seen at the time was Southland Tales. Does that still stand? <laughs> uh, I've seen far worse, to be honest, but that one just really Sticks. rubbed me the wrong way gotcha. so i stick with it i was having a bad day and it just made it worse so Sounds good the unseen classic or essential was the godfather 2 you must have seen that by now mm. yes about a year ago cool all right and the film that she wished she had made was eternal sunshine of the spotless mind she next appeared on episode 45 which is still oh boy considering a long time ago <laughs> 120 episodes back <laughs> plus or minus a few festivals um the where we talked about the rum diary the film she likes that nobody else does is x-men origins wolverine the film everybody else digs that she doesn't is high fidelity the last film to make her cry was 50 50 in the movie of her life she'd be played by kate winslet 
And the film she was watching next was an Irish movie called Perrier's Bounty, or Perrier's Bounty. Yeah. Time for round three. Rachel. Yay. Yes. What is the film, and you can interpret this in every any way you wish, that made your love of film turn a corner? I think it is Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Fascinating. Okay. Uh, yes. Why that one? I mean, I have always gone to the movies. I mean, all the time. I mean, anytime it was my birthday, Mother's Day, my mom's birthday, anything, we were always at the movies. And you, it worked, was just our you worked in one for a while too, didn't you? I worked at a movie theater for, yeah, about six months, once upon a time. Okay. Got to see all the free movies that summer. It was, it was a pretty good summer too. Anyway, um, but for some reason, I was always going to the movies. For some reason, I distinctly remember that movie in my head. And this, I was taking my boyfriend for his birthday at the time. It came out that weekend. I, and it was, I think it's George Clooney's directorial debut. Yep. I just really remember the camera work in that movie and how it awed me for some reason. I was just like, that's really neat. And I actually, that's when I really started paying attention to all the little aspects that go into filmmaking. The camera work in that one, just things that shots he chose and stuff, it really made me sit up and pay attention from then on to what I was watching, not just the story, not just the cute actor, lead actor or whatever. I really started focusing more on different aspects of filmmaking at that point. That's a, I, I don't think I've got that answer like like an answer like for that reason before like yeah. a lot of people have come come with like the emotional impact or anything like that like nobody's no nobody's mentioned that it was kind of the first time they took note of technique and um it's kind of funny because like i remember yeah i remember really digging that movie too and then i count um george clooney's next movie good night and good luck is one of my favorite movies like ever mm-hmm. uh, very but, good but, film yeah but it, it's it's kind of funny because after that Clooney kind of st- he started wandering around for a while you know like yeah the Leatherheads movie was yeah oof. and there's monuments yeah, men after that it's 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 funny because like for a while there he was like you say like all about really interesting technique and and whatnot but then he became just kind of you know one more dude making movies his his movies don't seem to have flourishes of what made confessions so special you know, at the same time, it was like, man, I really, I really want to talk about this. Thankfully, I had a boyfriend at the time who liked to talk about that kind of stuff, and he already noticed that kind of stuff. He, yeah, guys are kind of guys are kind of shitheads for that. Far more into film than I was, so <laughs> then I finally caught up a little bit. Kind of on the same tack, I, I, I in, in a in a way. What was your first date movie? Uh, Romeo and Juliet. Like the like the Baz Luhrmann, yeah. Okay, uh, not with the same boyfriend, different boyfriend. <laughs> I was much more in love with the film than the guy I was sitting next to. <laughs> oh, oh, no. And I still love that movie to this very day, and I barely remember that guy's name. Oh, so man. You would have been uh, like 15, 14? I was 15, yeah. Okay. Did, did he so. ask you? Did you ask him? Uh, he asked me. He was actually, it was very strange. He was 19. I was very surprised Whoa. that my mom let me go out with a 19-year-old. I know. I was a sophomore in high school. He was a sophomore in college. Um, but we had gone to church with him and his family for years. So my mom knew them really well. It wasn't like some rando off the street. So she was a little more okay with it. And it didn't last long because that kind of age gap, I got really bored really fast and I broke up with him. I didn't feel like I was like so cool dating a college guy or anything. It was like, we literally have nothing in common. Um, see ya. <laughs> 
So I, I, I think it went a couple of months past that first date. And then it was just like, nah, I'm good. I'm going to stick to people my own age. And ever since then, I've dated younger guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're, they're far more Make pliable. Make of that what you will. You. Well, guys as a species sure. are actually quite pliable. Um, <laughs> Man, okay, and, and and does like does anything about like the actual date and like going to see that movie stick out to you? Like, do you remember like the soundtrack or? Oh, I love the soundtrack. I have the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I was enamored with Leonardo DiCaprio, fifteen-year-old so girl. Screwed for course. starters. Yeah, I mean, he had no chance. Oh man, at all. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it was like, well, at least I get to see Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> yeah, that works. That works. <laughs> Uh, what so, is yeah. what is your sick day movie? Mm, I have quite a list of teenage girly com- rom-coms, sort of, not even really rom-coms, just more teenage girly movies, but the absolute top of the list is Clueless. Okay. Well, uh, uh, you know what? I, I don't know why. In my head, I was about to guess Mean Girls. Um, it would be on there, along oh, with probably okay, so like I, 10 I, Things I, I Hate I, About You, Easy uh, A, things like that. Gotcha. Like teenage girls, friend center, their lives, their problems, but good. But, you know, really, okay, really so, well made. So, okay. So let's, why Clueless? Like, why the genre in general and why Clueless specifically? Um, it makes me laugh. Okay. I sometimes can relate. I sometimes can't, but I can at least sympathize for them I well clueless mainly because when I was in college and dating um uh, I was in a long distance relationship how did this all end up being about my dating life all of a sudden it's the whole thrust of this show I love it (laughs) I guess so anyway I had a long distance relationship my freshman year of college and my roommate and I she was in one too and so we would just sit and watch clueless when we were feeling homesick and warning our boyfriends for some reason so it just kind of went to it to be my go-to feel better movie okay 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 yeah it's 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 kind of it's comforting in that way like the same way like you know if your mom would make you something that your mom knows how to make just so you know same same thing like you sit there and listen to share say things the way that only share can say them exactly it's not and they're not incredibly depthful so i don't have to think about them too hard no i can just enjoy the shenanigans and laugh and then cry should i need to cry at some point though i doubt that happens with any of those actually but you know and and they have really great leading females which makes me feel good yeah yeah it's kind of like your friends coming over and keeping you company while you're sick but you know not judging you because you're still in your pjs and you know wearing no makeup Yes. Yeah. Which cool. is my life now. So, yeah. <laughs> With like wine, good. though. <laughs> oh, sounds like a great life. What was the last film to leave you speechless? I think it was Beasts of the Southern Wild. Hmm. Okay. Why that one? I don't know. Even I can't even really explain it. I was. Um, I think I was pregnant, so of course that always plays a huge part of my emotions. Um, but I was watching it, and I just I loved it. I just started crying within like the first twenty minutes, ten minutes of the film. I don't mm. know. It was the soundtrack and the look and the feel, and because like seriously, I know those people. I've seen those people. I've talked to those people. I just I know how people like that live, and it was just so. I mean, I could never do that, but the way they lived and how they were okay with it and this little girl was just so amazing and it kills me that she was like five years old and I look at my kids and I'm like, wow, (laughs) they could never do what this girl does because they're so spoiled um, and cushioned. But um, afterwards, I just remember my mom asking me about it and I was like, 
I can't even explain it to you. I don't know why I loved it as much as I loved it. I think it ended up being my number one or two for the year. Um, I was like, I can't explain it. I just, I loved it so much, but I don't know how to put it into words why exactly. And I, to this day, I still really can't. It's so. such a, it's like, I remember that movie just being so unexpectedly beautiful and joyous. Yes. Um, right now. I think that, I think that was it. I think it was the joy in what seems to be a very sad environment. A very tough they, environment, right? Like, like yes. a, 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 a kind of a part, like it's, it's, it's a complete fiction. That's the thing too. It's not, it's not meant to be anywhere genuine like of course there's there's brush strokes of louisiana obviously in right it, but it but it's so um you know so so hyper fictionalized that it's it's not even louisiana proper um and yeah you, you get that opening scene where it's, it's kind of this like extended montage of life in the bathtub that beautiful uh movement of the score underpins it all mm-hmm. and actually right now they're using that that a movement of the score for like hockey commercials up here because oh really yeah yeah they are it's kind of funny because i'm looking i was like why do i suddenly have a really deep interest in watching hockey again what's going on oh they're they're using the music um yeah that's that that was a great movie that i I think has kind of not gotten nearly enough due I know. I well, I think a lot of it was it came out in summer, which is you know a harder time for those smaller independent films. A lot of time when they don't come out like right at award season, I think. But that was, um, I mean, but but it's still it was it was a best picture nominee that year, and I just kind of feel yeah, like already that's true. four years later we've forgotten about it. Yeah, I haven't. Um, and congratulations, you finally got in an answer without bringing up an ex boyfriend. Uh, last but not least, and maybe you can atone here. What movie <laughs> quote would be your epitaph? You know, I have thought about this, and it's really hard for me to go back and really think of anything that describes me. Like, a couple weeks ago with the whole three fictional characters that describe you, I couldn't come up with anything. I'm sure they're out there, but it's hard for me to put myself (laughs) into that and to come out with a a movie quote. So I'm just going to go really cheesy, probably pretty obvious, probably somebody's used it before, but to infinity and beyond. I no, I I like that one. That's the. Kind I don't of want thing. anything that really describes me, but like, let's just go on. Let's yeah. move on. I, she I, was. I she like was good. That. We loved her. Let's just go. I know. I, 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 I totally dig. It's kind of like. Um, you know, I, I always like when you hear stories about how um, when people pass away, they ask for specific songs to be played at their yeah. funeral. But it's it's got some cheek to it. Like, you know, somebody I, somebody I heard of had I still haven't found what I'm looking for um, mm-hmm. played. You know, so, so the, like that kind of thing. Like that that would that would be what I would see. Like if I saw that as an epitaph, I'd be like, "Yep, this person knows exactly." what they want in 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 life and in whatever comes next so that's that's a good answer i like that thank you very well done and, and as i said if i'm i know actually i'm pretty sure nobody has ever used that so well done hmm. awesome nice well that's more about rachel you'll learn uh, even more about her when we bring her back in another 140 episodes <laughs> um, I, after six more states I oh guess. My, <laughs> you're just no, i'm kidding um, yeah, really. <laughs> we are going to move on to the new slang. In this episode, we're going to do something a little different because the film we're talking about has, uh, you know, a few twists and turns along the way. So we're actually going to include a spoiler section and a spoiler-free section um, for The Girl on the Train, the new movie that dropped this weekend. Come on back. It's the new slang right after this.
Girl on the Train is directed by Tate Taylor. It's written by Aaron Cressidia Wilson, based on the book by Paula Hawkins of the same name. It stars Emily Blunt, Haley Bennett, Rebecca Ferguson, Justin Thoreau, Luke Evans, and Allison Janney. Rachel, Anna, and Megan, that's Blunt Ferguson and Haley Bennett, uh, are three women at the core of this story. Rachel is a burnt-out alcoholic, and I promise you I'm not smiling when I say that. <laughs> I am. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel in the movie is unemployed, spending her days taking the train back and forth to New York City, where she does precious little before coming home. Anna is a new mom who just happens to be married to Rachel's ex-husband, Tom, that's Justin Thoreau, and living in Rachel's old house, a situation that Rachel can't even. And then there's Megan, a pretty young nanny employed by Anna and living a few houses down. Megan lives a perfect life that Rachel fantasizes about as her train passes the home's backyard and she gets glimpses of her and her husband. One day, though, she gets more than a glimpse as she sees Megan embracing a man in the backyard who is not her husband. The plot thickens when Megan goes missing shortly after and turns up dead not long after that. If you're the sort who spends even 20 minutes by themselves, you might be prone to looking at a stranger or a couple or a group and making up a story. Perhaps it's a way to kill a little bit of time. Perhaps it's a blend of curiosity and imagination. The facts of a person's life, though, might strike us as far more dull or perhaps even more unsavory. So, pop quiz hotshot. What is it that Girl on a Train really wants us to fixate on? The facts of these women's lives or the fiction that they are presenting? I think it is more about the fiction because you just never know what goes on behind closed doors. So you don't think that the movie really wants us to latch onto the alcoholic or the, you know, the seemingly glorious couple or the, uh, it, it doesn't want us to fixate on those. It wants us to fixate on the version of themselves that they present to the rest of the world. Like Rachel, for instance, yeah. um, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to start using her whole name actually, because otherwise it's gonna get really cloudy, really fast. Rachel Watson, for instance, in this movie, um, you know, the the fiction is that she's some sort of professional who goes back and forth to New York for for work and happens to just drift when she's on this train. So you think that that's n the n that's the reality that they want us to focus on, not her being a damaged drifter, not a damaged drifter, but a damaged untethered person. Uh, well, I don't know about focus, and maybe at the beginning, you yeah. know, because they want us to focus on the fantasy of all, the, all these people's lives, her going back and forth, and then, you know, halfway through, maybe we find out, oh, maybe she's not wearing those pantsuits for a real reason, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and um, what is she doing, and then you find out you know, in that conversation with her roommate and the police, what, what's really going on. So it's, um, at first I think they want you to focus on the fantasy of what everybody's presenting. Cause I mean, I think that's part of Rachel Watson's thing too. She's, she wants so much to lose herself in this fantasy of Megan and Scott and then things turn ugly. And then we have to find out, Oh, life behind closed doors is not what we show the world. Yeah, and I think that that would be my answer, too, that that's why this movie wants us to uh, focus on the fiction. It wants us to focus on 
the beautiful couple of Luke Evans and uh, Haley Bennett, because imagine a young, happy, married couple that are both professional. That's probably what you'd imagine, you know, like fit, mm. pretty, has a house that, you know, who knows how they afford it because we never find out what in the world he does. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, you don't you don't want to focus on why she happens to be in therapy or you don't want us to you don't want us to focus on the other couple and how they got together in the first place you just want us to look at what they present to the world um maybe because it's just easier to swallow than if we knew everything about everybody right and i'm i'm of the opinion i'm just i've i've taken the mantra of not my circus not my monkeys Oh, so I, like I don't, <laughs> I don't get in other people's business anymore unless they want to talk to me about it. So be it. But I'm, I don't pry anymore. I did that far too long for too many years. Um, and I'm just done, That's good. <laughs> you know, See, but at the same time, like I, I got to admit, like the one thing that kind of, um, got me thinking a little bit long and hard about this movie. One of the very few things that got me thinking very long and hard about this movie is yeah. was Rachel Watson's tendency to make up stories about the people that she sees because i do that i i'm getting really really bad at being on the streetcar and seeing somebody and thinking to myself oh you probably do this and you're probably reading this and you probably saw that movie and just (laughs) you know you'd think with the amount of books i read on public transit you'd imagine i have no time for this shit but i somehow find the time to make up these stories i was like you know this is cutting a little too close to home so i kind of got to stop doing that um what did you think of this movie in like in general in general well i read the book of course so it was um very close to the book but i don't think it was that intriguing I guess, and I know I already knew the outcome, but again, I also saw Gone Girl and knew the outcome of that, and I still really liked the film. This one was definitely subpar in, mm-hmm. on some level, um, and I can't put my finger. It just wasn't that, it just didn't have something that when the big reveal and all those secrets started coming out at the end, I was just like, <gasps> you know, because even with certain films where I've read and then watched, I'm, I still, even though I know what's coming, it's still so satisfying to see it happen i guess and with this it really wasn't Mm -hmm. i don't know if it's the casting um or what but or i honestly don't know what it is see it's funny because actually the casting is probably the only thing about this movie that i really like because i'm looking down this list yeah i'm looking down this list of everybody who's in it and i i really dig what they did and you know and and how they played everybody especially knowing like who was supposed to play some of these characters um yeah i i'm with you though i wasn't really i really wasn't crazy about this movie i kind of came away from it feeling like i kind of felt guilty for for pointing you towards seeing it i was gonna see it anyway okay you didn't have anything to do with it it's all right that that catholic guilt just got put put back in check (laughs) that's good um but i felt like this is a pulpy movie that was trying to play it straight um yes. and that doesn't really work. There was a lot of individual scenes in this movie that felt like they were from other movies and a lot of times it was stuff with Emily Blunt, a lot of times it was stuff with um Haley Bennett, especially those two characters more than any others. Um they they were in a much better movie than the rest of this movie was. <laughs> and I found myself thinking like Emily Blunt especially did you see a few years ago? Did you see that Jennifer Aniston movie Cake? 
I did not. It's actually in my Netflix queue, but okay. I hardly ever get around to my Netflix queue anymore. Yeah. I, I, when I was watching Emily Blunt, I was really getting visions of cake. I was really, really hmm. getting visions of that movie and how that um, how that woman's story plays out because it felt like she was so far removed from the pot boiler of this movie. And while that was good because it gave me kind of great scenes and great lines and great a great performance, it didn't pull anything else with it. So, uh, you know, that was how it was all shaken out for me. And, and yeah, and like you, I read the book, so I knew what was coming and I could just focus on everything else. And maybe that's the problem. Maybe if I hadn't known how this was all going to shake together, I might've been spending more energy putting my attention on the pieces. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of weird that for all the hype and all the money that went into this movie, that it's, it's not so good. It's, yeah, it's not great. I think a lot of the problem is with books like these, where there are these mysteries, and then the entire thing goes back and forth between several characters, and everything's first-person point of view in the book, mm-hmm. it's really hard to translate that to film some, some, in, if, you're not, if you don't have a really great team behind it. Like, I think Gone Girl, again, it's not a fabulous film, but it's still really good, and I really love David Fincher, so that has a lot to do with it. Um, but this, on the other hand... You could really feel the exposition <laughs> um, because, I mean, how else are you going to get a first-person point of view story onto the screen as much, you know? Yeah. Um, and, that, and that's, yeah. like, for me, that that was a problem with adaptation because the the book and you know if you're drink if you're playing the drinking game at home, take a, take a sip because the the words the book are probably going to come up quite a bit. Yeah. Um, it needed a really, really deft adaptation to make this movie work because of the way it jumps around in time, like you said, because of the way that it mm-hmm. takes first-person POV from three different people, and that works on a page, but it doesn't work in a film. And that's just exactly what they tried to do. Like, every time the screen cut to black and it either gave me a character's name or something like four months ago, I, I remember sitting there thinking for real like do you really just yeah. do that like I, what 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 because of that it does it feels very choppy going back and forth um and then very rushed i feel like they rushed a lot of what was happening um i'm glad they left a couple of things out from the book that i didn't even think made sense in the book but um at the same time i feel like they tried to solve this thing like this whole story within a week after megan's disappearance where mm-hmm. i feel like in the book it was several months which made a lot more sense to draw things out and really develop things better yeah. and here it's just like no we got to get through this story right now yeah um, we, we spend so much time with the past that we you know we sacrifice the present right yeah. not that the book is fabulous or no, anything no that's <laughs> don't get me wrong yeah I, I kind of felt bad because I knew I was like, you know, I, I was talking about I was talking about a movie based on a book that I didn't like. I'm like, what are the odds that somebody's going to improve yeah. on this? But, uh, you know, I, I try to be I try to be optimistic. Um, yeah. You know, when, when we're talking about the characters in this movie, one of the characters that kind of jumps to my brain and actors that jumps to the forefront is um, Rebecca Ferguson as Anna Watson, because this is a woman who for a year I was actually really hoping was going to get cast as Captain Marvel because the last time I saw her was in Mission Impossible Rogue Nation where mm-hmm. she is an absolute badass capital B badass I want her to have her own movie right away and it felt like in this movie she has nothing to do she's the only one of the three who never really seems to get a scene on her own 
Yeah, and it well, her character is so sad anyway because I mean, first of all, she's a stay-at-home mom who has to hire a nanny to help her, and then but we're like, not judging. We're not judging. Her, we're not judging. Not judging. Totally <laughs> judging, but not judging. Um, but then everything revolves around the baby and the husband. Um, yeah. So it's she's barely defined on her own to begin with. Okay, I'm a stay-at-home mom, and yes, my life revolves around my kids and my husband a lot, but there are other things to me than that, and I feel like there was nothing like that for Anna. Both in this story and in her life, I saw no brush strokes of anything else, and it's it's kind of crazy because at the center of this story, you've actually got this really interesting seed of a theme with mothers because you have one woman who wanted a child but couldn't conceive you've got one woman that is a mother and one that doesn't want to be a mother that like adamantly at every conversation comes up about how she doesn't want kids yeah and you know i listen i i the one thing i never envy women is the whole approach to motherhood because it seems like (laughs) every passing year that we go it's becoming more and more a personal thing it's something that was it's just it's a social convention that you know, you grow up, you get married, you have kids. It, and it's just something that we've never, ever questioned. And every week that passes by, we're learning, you know, this woman wants this. This woman wants this. This woman wants what this other woman doesn't want and so on. So this movie, pulpy as it is, mm-hmm. could have actually explored that. But it really doesn't, especially, as I said, especially with Anna. Anna it really skims. Rachel Watson yeah. gets gets some gets like a lot of exposition with it and Lord knows Megan gets a lot. But Anna gets like no time to really or like marinate on what she thinks of being a mother. I mean that's just it. She's just a mother and a wife. Yeah. And there's nothing else to her except a little bit of her background. Um but even that, you know, it's just not even, there's nothing to it. But it, like, did that jump out, did, did that jump out for you as well? Like the whole idea of mothers in this story? It's very much tied to that. Like either we somehow we're defined by that. Either we want them or we don't. It's like the world doesn't fall into two categories yeah. of women that way. No. And I have them and I love them, but I honestly can't pinpoint the day I thought, yeah, I want to have a kid, and why? I mean, well, if I'm being honest, I mean, I have them and I love them, but what made me want to do this yeah, so many and, years and, ago? And it's the same sort of thing. Like, if you, you know, you, I, I, I have a general idea of the way you're wired, but, you know, you, you know as well as I do that there are people out there who, if they said to another woman, I don't want kids, it just wouldn't compute. Well, no, it can be, I mean, I am totally fine with people who don't want kids. Right, but, I, but I know, but that, yeah. that's, and that's what I'm saying. That's, and, and, and I know that about you, but that's you. Yeah. Like, I'm sure you but, know yeah. other people who are like, I don't get it. What were your thoughts on the, you know, you've had to go through this twice now with the book and the movie, the thoughts on yeah. an unreliable narrator? Um, because that, the one thing about Rachel Watson is she's a pretty handy device for any author because you can just make it so that she forgets shit. Well, it's convenient, that's for sure. <laughs> I guess I was more cool with it in the book, but in the film, it felt a lot more forced. Again, I think it's more the rush. Like, in the book, we had more time for her to explore her her anger and confusion over her um, 
blackouts right. and her alcoholism. Yeah, there was the, the more state of her life, of her, right? Yeah, there was more thought process there. And here she, she I'm not going to say she came off as a one-note character, definitely not. And Blunt did a good job, don't get me wrong. But the writing, I think, just kind of pushed her into it and then rushed past it. Yeah. I, until until it was necessary yeah. to get the rest of the story out. I think for me I, I just found it too convenient. Um the the the, the first time, the first time I didn't even know that was what I was getting into. So, you know, fool me once. But right. the second time around I you know, you can you can graft anything onto that character and along with the fact that it's unsavory in ways that we'll exp- we'll get into in the spoiler section um you can do a whole lot more with a damaged character than just use them as a way to distract from what's actually going on you know like she has so many demons that really need exploration and if i had a wish it would be that rachel watson had a different movie because especially with emily blunt playing her um mm-hmm. i don't want to see her as, an, as a way to facilitate lies and that's all that character can do Right. So, I agree. All right. Well, we're going to get into the spoiler section in a second, but just in case you're going to tune out here, we're going to skip to the end and talk about our souvenir and what we would rate this movie. Uh, Rachel Thoreau, what would be your mm-hmm. souvenir from The Girl on the Train? It is the scene. Um, well, this, I hope this isn't too spoilery. I mean, it happens pretty early. So before the action, I guess, during one of those flashbacks. Um, And at first it's shown as a dream of Anna's. Rachel goes to their house and takes their infant daughter. Mm. And they show more about it later. But Anna wakes up, runs out to the backyard, and Rachel's holding the baby. And you don't really know what happened. They don't show what happens after that until later. But it's just that scene. She's standing there with the baby in the yard. There's the fog and the mist and that trellis with the arch and everything it was really pretty yeah i just i loved that that shot it just looked great but mysterious and if you didn't know what had happened it's like it's pretty intriguing like where wait go back to that what happened you know (laughs) anna just had that memory and then they cut off from it so you don't know what happened within that time a year before yeah so um i know exactly the scene you're talking about too because it's crazy because i the last day and a half i've wrestled with would I include a movie I didn't like in my year-end post of Hey Man, Nice Shot? Because her mm-hmm. holding that baby in that fog was just, I just like, it was arresting. I was like, wow. Yeah. Uh, every, all, everybody involved in this makes... movie just stepped up their game like tenfold yeah. for this one moment. Um, no, yeah. that's, that's a great souvenir. Um, well, I love fog because oh. I think it makes everything prettier. And now I live in the mountains, so I see it all the time. Wait, I thought you were scared um, of fog. Huh? I thought you were scared of fog. Oh, yeah. I'm terrified of it. But it does make everything look pretty. <laughs> Okay. Um, <laughs> I know dead, but I'm just going to go with it. Um, as long as I can stay indoors. <laughs> okay. All right. My souvenir would be Rachel's drawings. I loved her little oh, sketches yes. that she was working on. Um, you know, I used to when I was younger, and I kind of still want to. So I think, like, if, if anybody happens to see me messing around with a sketchbook in the next little while, I'd be like, yeah, just watch Girl on Train. Um, and, like, the last one that she's working on, too. She's working on one where she's sketching. Um, the tunnel? A, uh, no, she's sketching. Oh, no, a, at the very end. Yeah, yeah. she's sketching a, um, a, a sculpture and it's really really pretty so i'd yeah. want some of rachel's drawings yeah and that's actually one of the things that they added to the film that she didn't do in the book that i really liked that addition yeah. that she was always sketching while she was thinking yeah. or imagining megan yeah. and scott's life or trying to bring back her memories or something yeah. i thought that was a really great addition for the character it gave her a little bit more definitely what do we give the girl on a train on a scale of one to four stars 
I am going to give it a two mm. because I wouldn't not watch it again. Like, okay. if it came on TV, I'd be like, yeah, I'll watch that, at least for Emily Blunt, yeah. at, at the very least for me. You're, yeah, you're feeling more generous <laughs> than me. I, I'm, I am. I'm, yeah, I'm down to one and a half because, like, okay. Emily Blunt is awesome in this movie um so, like, and she, alice and janey she didn't get as much time but alice I, and janey, alice like, and janey I feel like alice and janey did her alice and janey thing yeah um, but it's an awesome thing to oh do. yeah yeah it's it's it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a great talent and you know if nothing else i kind of want to see more about megan hipwell i, I as i said like i i want to see another story about rachel watson that does play it straight because getting to know this woman who's frayed is is something that i'm really really interested in in that cake sort of way not in the pulpy girl on the train kind of way but of course i'm never going to get that story well you could always write the girl on the plane oh god no somebody's gonna do that now (laughs) all right come on back right after this we're gonna get into spoilers for the girl on a train right after this quick break So if you've come this far, I imagine either you've seen the movie or you don't care because we're going to talk about every last thing about it in the spoiler section. Uh, Rachel, Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but I didn't really buy the inciting incident that Megan would all of a sudden... Like, you know, okay, so Megan gets pregnant and she just, mm-hmm. and she calls over her shrink and they talk about it. And then, you know, before she goes and approaches the father, and we'll get to the father in a second. I didn't buy that she would have that conversation out on her back terrace in full, yes. in full view of anybody who happened to be passing by or even, you know, her neighbors. Yes, I agree. Um, I mean, just the fact that she was out there in her underwear every day, I'm just kind of like, really? I but saw, maybe well, I'm a little bit more of a prude. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly don't have her figure, so <laughs> that has a lot to do with it. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, I mean, even the whole... After she comes on to her therapist and he pushes her away and says, I could lose my practice and everything... From his character, I never understood why he was still so gentle with her and understanding because I feel like, dude, she could get you in a lot of trouble at this point. And which eventually after she disappears, you know, she does does, because Rachel points a finger at him. But um, I never even really understood their relationship after she starts coming on to him and he pushes her away a lot, why he was there for her in the first place like not only in the deck why did he even come over well, why did he let her in her house that one night i mean i know she it was just more of a device for her to get the rest of her story yeah, out yeah and but it doesn't make sense like you're a therapist and you're talking to somebody and you're realizing how messed up they are what in the end you you still have enough pragmatism in you to say i could lose my entire livelihood why in the world don't get me wrong Haley bennett is a lovely young girl but why are you going there yeah so on both sides i didn't buy that i sort of kind of buy her parading in her underwear but that's because you know i'm a guy um well and then i mean she and scott are full view glass house having sex in the kitchen at the beginning yeah i mean 
apparently they have no boundaries. So Clearly. I would actually buy it. I buy it more on her end than on the therapist's end. Like, I do not know why he went to that house, even. at the same time, the thing is, like, she... There's a long conversation she has about lying. And she talks about Mm -hmm. how, like, lying is a vacation that only you know about. Like, this is a person who... And I'm not judging. This is a person who is very clearly a good liar. And I feel like just being in that moment completely betrays what it would take to be a good liar. Yes. Because it's not even the train. You can say what you want to about the train of the possibility of somebody passing by knowing you being low, although it's not even really all that low because there's a station nearby. But again, you're neighbors. You're, right. you're, you're elevated. You're in a neighborhood. Anybody who looks over and neighbors do can see you. I didn't get but it. But at the same time, yeah. she went to Tom that same night and told him so she knew there was a chance and she told him that you can be in as, as involved or not if it's yours so i mean i think she was about to tell scott anyway everything so there's also why not go ahead and hug the, and kiss the therapist out on the deck because i'm about to lose everything anyway for this baby but she yeah maybe maybe like you know i i think that she could have always sold it to scott as it's yours because Right. You know, let let let's let let's break this down here. Justin Thoreau and Luke Evans—they don't exactly look alike, but at the same time, they look enough alike that you could probably yeah. get that one past them. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that baby's not going to have red hair and be like, "Whoa, right. where'd you yeah. come from?" <laughs> yeah, you know, she didn't just hit it with a Weasley brother. Um, exactly. <laughs> you know, so we've got Tom, we've got Justin Thoreau, and uh, as the asshole at the center of this story, the the you know the. <laughs> the turd in the middle of this shit sandwich yeah i didn't want to spend any more time in his world like this entire all these three women orbit around him um you've got you know broken people doing broken things and it all seems to be this one collector of broken toys i i don't know why but in in the movie it became he became more of an asshole than he was on the page yeah, they left a lot out of the movie because there's a conversation. He like take in the book, he takes Rachel off to have a conversation with her trying to get her to stop calling, but also very concerned and you know um charming. Yeah. He's very charming. They did not show any of that here. No. No. They did not and show they that allude charming, to it though. Could, you know, seduce you with just his words kind of thing. And so he was just, it, yeah, it makes no sense why all three of them were obsessed with him and willing to lie for him or stalk him or whatever it is they were going to do it just did not come across and i feel like they filmed that scene because i feel like i've seen in a trailer or something something that looked like it but then they left it out of the movie so there was a lot missing from his character from the book that would at least let you believe that these women could be this obsessed or this in love with this man. Well, and like it seems like all he's there to do. And hey, listen, uh, you know, it's it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just not necessarily something I want to spend thirteen bucks to watch happen. All he's there to do is break things and mansplain, right? You know, <laughs> I it's, <laughs> it, it's like I, I I not to hang too much on. Um, Rebecca Ferguson, but that was kind of the other thing that made me uh, not care that much about Anna. Is sorry, she was a real estate okay. agent, and she stole she stole her out from under she stole him out from under Rachel. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like okay, so I've got 
a cheater and another who married another cheater who's now cheating on the cheater and you mm-hmm. want me to care why am i supposed to care about any of these people and then throw the alcoholic in there messing everything up I, you know what no, but like that's that's a, maybe that's the, she's far more relatable yeah yeah that's the thing at the end of the day i'm caring more about the absolutely completely broken alcoholic than i am for you know the pretty girl who just can't find anything in this suburban life that she cares about even though she's got all the comforts that she could want i can't care about the cheater who stole the other person's husband i certainly can't care about the husband because he's an asshole i can't Mm. care about scott because he just wants to he's barely a character well but all he wants to do is (laughs) screw his wife and domineer her and have a baby like that's yeah that's really almost all he's there to do i've got nobody in this movie to latch on to they're all lying dicks except the alcoholic who's also a liar just not <laughs> just a can't remember conveniently yeah uh, <laughs> yeah no i it is frustrating then uh, something else occurred to me about rachel watson is on paper i understand why she's a suspect i understand why allison janey is all over her as, as a person of interest mm-hmm. but with everything we see she never really seems like the suspect did you watch um on hbo did you watch the night of no just keeps telling me to but i have yet to do it <laughs> but i'm watching deadwood right now okay. so <laughs> it, it's kind of the opposite of that because in the night of you see somebody who you're like 99 percent sure is not the suspect even though all the evidence points to him so mm-hmm. it's like i understand why this person is a person of interest you know because because there's just way too many coincidences going on for this person not to have done this but meanwhile rachel watson i'm like Aside from the fact that nobody can account for her whereabouts, including herself, what is the evidence that she did this? You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. th- that that was my biggest problem is for her to kind of be the one that Alice and Janney keeps coming at and the one that even Tom and Anna think might have done it. it. It's it's just there's nothing to support that. Right. Yeah, I agree. Um she was I mean, Alice and Janney's like well, you were seen there that night, and she, from behind, she could look a lot like your ex-husband's wife. And I'm like, yeah, that doesn't equate murder to no, me. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't like this person doesn't mean I'm going to kill this person, regardless right. of what I've recorded into my phone in a drunken, drunken stupor. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah, I don't know. I think, you know... It, thing, it's a reach. The, yeah, whole the whole plot is a reach. Is a reach. Um, <laughs> It's crazy because the thing, the other, the last thing I thought about as I was walking away from this movie, um, like through the corridors of the uh, of the multiplex, is I don't think I want to see this kind of story anymore. Like, there's way too many moments in real life of of women getting killed for terrible reasons, of guys doing just horrible guy shit that I don't need to pay to see a fictionalized version of that anymore. Yeah, and maybe that's just a sign of me like growing old or something. I don't know, <laughs> um, or or maybe it's a sign of me waking up. I don't know, but I just I think that's the thing is I don't want to watch any more, you know, guys who look like Justin Thoreau beat women who look like Megan Hipwell to death with a stone. That's that's not entertaining to me. Yeah, it, and that was hard to watch. I mean, it was just like, oh god, that's why? Why am I doing this? Yeah. Um, I also think, I mean, I feel like it's getting very cliche at this point. As I was reading the book, and I went ahead and watched the movie because I read the book, but I was just like, why am I? I mean, this isn't even really my genre. This, like, mystery thriller kind of stuff isn't really my main thing. So, 
I think why I like am I here? <laughs> what? Yeah, exactly. Why am I here? Um, I don't know. Because when you get down to it, there's just not that much intrigue when you think about it in the end. I mean, in this case, it was a possibility of three guys. Yeah. And when you find out who it is, yeah, it's not that surprising. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so why did I go on this ride? Yeah. You know? No, no. It's... So I'm kind of at that point, too. I yeah. agree. So I guess what we're saying is if you've already seen it, you have our sympathy. And my, my guess is if you've gone this far into the review, you've already seen it. So maybe we should start a support group. Um, <laughs> and if you, if you were curious about it and you haven't seen it and you just listened to us talk about the whole darn thing to the bitter end... You know, just there are so many better things out there, even if you're just looking at yeah. time. Um, you know, True. wait wait until it turns up on Netflix and you're really bored. Otherwise, yeah. there's not much to it. Um, but come on, I'm back after this. We're going to flip the record over, play the other side, and talk about some better movies in just a second. A stranger thing that never changed my mind. I'm going to take it on the other side. Take it on the other side. So once again this week, uh, for the other side, just because we're coming back on short rest, we didn't choose two specific movies to go into in depth. Uh, I was actually kind of um, kind of enjoying what we did last week with uh, with Katie Hogan in terms of just talking about a bunch of movies that uh, this film made us think about. Um, we'll, we'll we'll go back to the old structure in, our, in a few more episodes, but for now, um, we're gonna just kind of play some jazz. So. Uh, you know, we may as well start with because we both kind of had it on the brain. We may as well start with Gone Girl. Um, yeah, it's kind of hard not to. Yeah, like I mean, you know, that first of all, uh, again, folks, take a drink. When we talk about the book, that is usually the book that everybody said after you read Gone Girl, go on to the Girl on the Train. Yep. And <laughs> and, and and having read both, I'm like, eh, I don't really see the jump. Um, I don't either. I mean, other than the mystery, but you know, Gone Girl, halfway through, you know what happened. You just got to watch everything unravel, and that's the fun of that one. Yeah, um, this doesn't have that. No, no, and like obviously, you're you're a big fan of Gone Girl the movie. Yes, cool. I very much liked it. Yeah, me too. Um, even though that was like that was another one where we watched men do and and one man in particular like not act like a man um in front of a strong woman and yet at the same time that was a movie that one i found far more captivating even though it's really pulpy and two i i was anxious to revisit yeah but she screws him over so well that you're like hell yeah yeah but you're kind of crazy too so it's like do i root for her or not. I'm not sure if I should be in awe of this woman. I mean, I'm in awe of her, but how far should I let it go? Yeah. See, this and doesn't really have that. And that's the crazy thing, too, is there's another movie where, again, I'm asking, who am I rooting for? You know, same, same as I was talking in The Girl on the Train. I'm like, who am I pulling yeah. for in this movie? And yet, I, I still I still care. It's, it's The crazy thing for me is, I look at a movie like Gone Girl, and I've said this now three times, is... A David Fincher movie not directed by David Fincher is far, far lesser. It's it's Moneyball. It's the girl on the train. It's the the Swedish girl with the dragon tattoo. It's it makes a difference when you take a director's style and you take them out of it. Mm-hmm. So um, the other thing I just thought was was cool was with Gone Girl. It it 
doesn't shy away from being pulpy and trashy. Yeah, it knows what it is. Yeah, and I don't know why... And it why. celebrates it. Yeah, and, and that was the thing. I didn't know why Girl on the Train tried to play it straight. I'm like, you know, you're an airport book. Play, yeah, yeah. That, play <laughs> that shit up. Don't start looking like cake. Start looking like, you know, along came a spider. Yeah, if I can read it in a couple of days, it's not that depthful and shouldn't try to be more so <laughs> yeah i mean i read it in a couple of days but then that's what i do now so yeah um, but and that's the thing like i i actually i think that there's there's a place for good trash you know i yeah i agree th- yeah there, there's there's lots of movies i'll get sucked into on cable and i'm like yeah i wouldn't have paid for this but i'm happy i just spent the last two hours doing this um what else did you think about with girl on the train um as, as potential, like, you know, further slash better reading as far as um, movie, where movies are concerned. Sorry, I know that's, right. that's, that's bad phrasing when we're I talking about a movie was, on a book. <laughs> that's okay. I thought it was um, kind of, I don't want to be too on the nose about it, but Rear Window. Yeah, okay, okay. Um, I mean, just the watching and the getting involved and should you be getting involved aspect of everything. Another one where people make up stories about people. Mm-hmm. Although, yeah. although there he's there he's got a, a little bit more to go on because he well one he's not an alcoholic broken person. Right. Um, man, I'm I'm really True. throwing that girl under the bus. I feel terrible. <laughs> oh, you mean oh, under the train? Yeah. Oh man, I'm being so judgy about Rachel Watson. This is such <laughs> a bad episode. Um, but but uh, yeah, J- Jimmy Stewart in that movie, he's not spinning complete fabrications he's just observing and kind of putting the pieces together but that you know that that's an i'm a little overdue to watch and that's that's another movie where there's you know the whole kind of conversation about getting married because grace kelly uh really really wants to marry him and he's not really all that interested so you've got another social convention kind of being picked at in the middle of that movie that's a good one for sure thanks i haven't seen that one in a while too it's been years for me as well, but I mean, it, the main thing for me was the watching and the making up stories and the, I mean, are you really in a rightful place to get involved? I mean, you think you saw something, but does that mean you should just jump in and start investigating yourself, you know, because yeah. that's not your area and maybe you're stuck in a wheelchair or you're drunk. So, <laughs> um, One that I thought about is, have you ever seen a movie called Three Women? Mm, maybe, but no. Sissy, it's not. from like 77, Sissy Spacek, Shelley Duvall, um, directed by Robert Altman. I don't think so. Okay. No. This movie, this movie is really good, and it's really messed up. Um, it's it, so there's it's it's called Three Women, but there's really two women at the core of it, and then a third one that kind of comes into the fray later. Um, and I got to thinking about it with um, Megan, Anna, and Rachel because you know the, at the end of that movie, she talks about how the three of them are now in, you know indefinitely tied together from this one moment in time. Um, mm-hmm. In Three Women, there's this girl who goes to work. She, she's a caregiver at this health spa for older... So judgy. I know. Um, and her name is Pinky. It's Sissy Spakes. That, and she's playing it when she's like 20. I think this is before Carrie. So she's really oh, okay. young in this yeah. movie. And she buddies up with Shelley Duvall, who's another caregiver named Millie. But Millie is such an odd bird. Um that at first she thinks that she's kind of buddying up with the cool girl, and then she finds out that she's buddying up with the weirdo. And they, 
kind of end up switching personalities um, after a little bit of time together. One of them, uh, uh, Pinky reads Millie's diary. She kind of starts taking on some of her mannerisms. Millie becomes like ostracized. And then they go out into the, into like the edge of town and they meet this artist who just complicates things all that much stranger. And there's a death involved. It's it. And it's all just so, so haunting this movie. Hmm. Um, yeah. Robert Altman directed it. Um, it looks really pretty. It's, it's out in kind of like the, sometimes it's in like this nice little Texas town, but other, like there's long stretches that take place like out in the more like deserted flatlands. Okay. So yeah, three women. I haven't. I don't think I've heard of it. it sounds interesting. Yeah, it's it, like I they did a, an Altman series at the Lightbox here a few years ago, so I actually got to catch us on a screening. Um, but okay. check it out. There's 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 criterions of it. So if you uh, if you can get your mitts on those, I don't think it's on Netflix, but it might be. Actually, Stranger yeah. Things have happened. But that was my. Do you got another one besides uh, Gone Girl? And I um, do. Um, and again, it's probably not one that people really love, but it's one that's always stuck out in my memory. Um, again, maybe some glorified trash to it, if you will, but it knows what it, I always thought it kind of knew what it was, but there's a supernatural element to it. So you kind of have to remove that. But what lies beneath? Oh yeah. Okay. I thought a lot of it really reminded me of this because so what lies beneath is a Robert Zemeckis directed movie with Harrison Ford and Michelle Pfeiffer from 2000. She thinks that her neighbor has killed his wife, but it turns out he hasn't, but it kind of messes with her mind for uh, maybe a good 20 or 30 minutes of the movie. Yeah. But she seems to have this wonderful, perfect husband. They just sent their daughter off to college, but then some very weird supernatural things start happening. And there was this young woman who was murdered or disappeared, I guess. And nobody ever really found out. And she's getting kind of messages from her. And then you find out her husband was involved with the girl and she thinks her spirits come back to mess with them but there's a lot more to it and he's not the good guy that she thinks he is well besides the whole affair thing um and there's scenes of her talking to the therapist she has this big blank spot in her memory of something that happened a year ago and then she was in a car accident and a lot of stuff revolves around that and trying to recover that memory and then also trying to figure out what happened to this girl at the same time. So, I mean, aside from the supernatural part of the ghosts coming and messing with them, there was a lot that reminded me of Girl on the Train or Girl on the one, Train reminded me of that. I'll always remember the poster for that one was beautiful because it was back before posters felt the need to include like every last star in the movie and it was just yeah all the head the floating heads yeah this was just the woman's hand on the edge of the bathtub yes um because there's a really iconic scene with the woman in the bathtub i also remember the trailer for that movie giving away the twist i think they come out with the fact that in the trailer she says you had an affair with her and now she wants to hurt you or her spirit wants to hurt you or something. Yeah. But that's not how far it went okay. or it went in a different direction. I, I might've yeah. seen, I, I actually might've seen a different trailer. Cause I think uh, maybe just, so I kind of now want to leave it. Cause if somebody has the odd yeah. chance that somebody hasn't seen this movie, I don't want to be the dick. That's yeah. Um, I mean, no, that's you find cool. out about the affair, but 
there's yeah, definitely there's more, more to it. it than just that. And it's also in the very end, she goes to visit her grave. Yeah. At the very end. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, always, that's always a neat little device, right? Yeah. Um, well, the last one I've got for us um, as a, as a Mary up is a really old one. Um, it's a classic, but it really ties into what happens in uh, the girl on the train. Uh, I thought about the 1940 movie gaslight, because that okay. Because first of all, gaslighting is a thing. Gaslighting is a term that is thrown around when a person in power, usually a guy, um, will convince somebody who is susceptible, um, be it you know due to substance or due to a lot of domineering control, that they are remembering something wrong. They will either plant memories or fade memories from somebody's brain. And make them think that they're they're remembering things that either didn't happen or happened completely otherwise. So in Gaslight, there's a woman who is convinced that like her husband is basically stoking the myth that the house is haunted. Um, mm-hmm. He closes off upper, upper floors. He's she's basically a kept woman. Things are things are getting misplaced. There's Jess texting me in the middle of my podcast and interrupting <laughs> my ass. Um, so like things, things are moving and she, she basically thinks she's going nuts and he completely stokes this myth. Meanwhile, he's actually up to no good. And the way that they figure out that something is amiss is the, there's gas lights, there's lamps around the, around the flat. And now and then they either dim or they kind of swell and she and the, it's that's the term is, is gaslighting because when he's up to no good, he's actually doing something that's affecting the lights. Mm, okay. Yeah, and that is what Tom in the movie is doing to Rachel Watson. He's basically getting her to consider her life in a in a light that is not not in, one not entirely accurate or two not accurate at all. Right. And so going back to kind of the origin of all that. Well, you know, besides going back to the dawn of man, but going back to <laughs> the origin of the term gaslighting, I think could make a really cool marry up and, and, and good movie to move on to. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. And I actually saw a really bad horror film. I think it was from the fifties, maybe called nightmare castle where a very similar thing happened. This guy murdered his wife and her lover and then married her stepsister to get the money, the family money, but then made the stepsister feel like she was going insane by seeing her sister's ghost all throughout the castle. Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of just a thing that guys do. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. 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 So, you know, Bastards. one, yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> stop that. And, and, and two, maybe, maybe that's enough movies about that. I think, yeah. uh, you know, let's, let's just kind of stop celebrating that. Um, but there we go. That's a whole lot of movies. Um, better ones certainly than, um, girl on the train that you can uh, use to spend your time with and that's episode 165 of the matinee cast so come on back we're gonna take a break because my ass is going on vacation and i'm not podcasting while i'm gone um (laughs) come on back on november 7th for episode 166 um i don't know yet what we're going to talk about but there's going to be a lot of good movies coming out in between now and then so i'll pick something good um rachel of course is on real insight with jess rogers and we'll have their next episode up at the beginning of november are you gonna rediscuss 2008 or has that boat sailed we may give it another shot, but it's so hard to re-record uh, something where you've already talked about it. So what was the next year that you were going to do after that? The next one would be 1962, Lawrence of Arabia and The Longest Day. 
Oh, I love the, the money longest maker. day. Okay, the longest day so. is really, really good. Lawrence, I love Lawrence. I don't know how it's going to work for you guys at home. Um, I, yeah. Lawrence is the kind of movie I usually tell people, just wait for a big screen because you'll get the most from it and you'll be in it, but good luck. Um, yeah, uh, I'm in Morgantown, West Virginia. No. No, no. Movies don't start before one o'clock in the afternoon here, and we have two theaters, and they show the exact same thing. Oh, man. They each have 12 screens. They all show, They both show the exact same so movies. Much. They're just on different sides of town. <laughs> good grief. And if people yeah. want to follow you on Twitter, where can they find you? Mrs. Thorough at, well, yeah, at Mrs. Thorough. Yeah. Very nice. Um, yeah, and I do some writing still for Bubbly. He does Flight Tights Movie oh, Nights, yeah. but I actually do his, he also has Channel Superhero, which covers television shows based off comic books. And I am the zombie girl. I cover Fear the Walking Dead, The Walking Dead, and I Zombie. Very cool. I, I bailed out of fear really quickly. Well, I still watch it because I write about it, but yeah, it's it's hard. <laughs> it's, <laughs> so the season finale was pretty good. The last two episodes of the season were actually okay, pretty there's, good. There's hope. Um, yeah. My site is thematinee.ca. For more audio content, you can find back episodes by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting. You can also find them on Pocket Cast, Stitcher Radio, Blueberry, Apple's podcast app, and the iTunes store. Everything gives you ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop feedback on the girl on the train um or your ideas for other side movies to marry up with it can be left in the comment section of the site you can email me ryan at the matinee.ca twitter where i'm matinee underscore ca or facebook.com slash dark matinee any final thoughts before we go make some chicken no uh, i think i need another glass of wine no well you know 55 pounds you can afford it well, you know, I got to become the drunken Rachel that you were talking about earlier. <laughs> I love drunken Rachel. <laughs> for, for Rachel Thoreau, I'm Ryan McNeil. We'll see you at the matinee.